Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. We were just having a little chat about why we buy the things that we buy. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting thing. I've had a few conversations in the past few weeks with people who run clothing brands. And I think that's what's kind of made me really think about this because like, why do you buy the things you do? And especially with like streetwear or certain things where by you buying that product, it signals to other people that you're part of this group, that you like these certain things, that you maybe have this amount of money. For example, a lot of high fashion now, instead of being targeted at people with lots of money, it's being targeted at people with without that much money who want to aspire to wear those kind of things. So instead of it traditionally where it was used to be like a, we'll sell this to people with loads of money, they're now targeting people maybe more in like the streetwear realm to kind of signal to other people that I have this amount of money because I've bought this product. There's always the memes of Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, million, multi-multi-millionaires with their they have their their wardrobe of like just plain t-shirts or plain jeans or whatever it might be. And those are the people that don't need to project out that I have all of this wealth. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting one. It's something that I've, I've sort of struggled with myself is that um, I have this Moschino backpack, okay? And it's when they did a collaboration with um, Super Mario. So obviously that's very me, like Super yeah. Mario on the back of my backpack. And it's the most expensive thing that I own, hands down. Um, I think it was about 600 quid, which for a backpack is fucking stupid. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. and, I, and I know that I didn't pay full price for it. I got it in the sale. So I think I think maybe 600 was the retail and I got it less. Or if I got it for 600, then it was like, anyway, it was a long time ago that I bought it. I've never worn it. I've never left the house with it. And it's very funny that we work really, really hard to be able to afford things, to to live in our lifestyle or whatever it is, like to be able to buy nice things. That's why you work hard because you're like, oh, I'll be able to treat myself to that. So I've treated myself to this bag. I've gone, oh, I love that. And then I don't wear it because I don't want people to go, oh, look how fancy he thinks he is. So you work hard, you achieve this level of where you have enough money to buy the shit that you like. And then I feel a guilt around actually like because i don't want to appear flashy of actually wearing the product and going going out with it on which it's all just ridiculous like status and social and brain chemistry and all of these different things and and i guess it all comes down to ego and what we're projecting out to the outside audience just so interesting because it's like with the super mario backpack for example there are going to be so many super mario backpacks that are made by nintendo that probably cost 15 pounds and I don't know what this particular one you've bought looks like, but there would be it's like, sick. <laughs> but like there would be like fifteen pound backpacks that you could definitely buy that would signal that you like Super Mario. But yeah, there is something in us like subliminally that wants us to have a level of status to kind of show that we're we've achieved something. And I think that is the reason why a lot of people buy things. So I think when if you have a product and you're trying to sell it, how is that going to benefit someone else? Like, are they going to get a level of status from it? By wearing that, is that going to signal to people that they have this level of status, that they've earned this thing? Like, Because I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about Facebook ads and how they have a clothing brand that is quite expensive. It's all handmade. It's, it's a new brand, so no one really knows about it yet. So if I purchased that, I would only be purchasing it because I like the look of the design 
rather than because of the level of status it's going to bring me. And I think that's a really hard thing when you're first starting a brand because I could go to somewhere and buy something that looks really similar. If I just like the look of it, I could probably go and find that look somewhere else, somewhere cheaper. Like the backpack, for example, you could go to the Nintendo store and there might be something that's kind of similar there that would look the same. But that doesn't bring you any status. So I think if you're starting a brand, it's how can you build that status? How can you build that community around what you're selling, what your product is, that make people care about it? That if I buy this thing to the people that I know or the people that I want to look up to me, it signals to them, this is, this is someone who's good. This is someone who's achieved something. This is someone who I should look up to. Yeah, and it's all psychology. If you look at a brand like Palace, who they've grown massively over the past few yeah. years, they don't ever have sales because they don't, I guess the, the understanding there would be, we don't ever want our product to be seen as cheap. And we don't ever want, like, you know, when you say to someone like, oh, I love your jumper, where did you get it from? And they go, yeah. we have this thing of like downplaying and you go, oh, I, I got it in the sale. Yeah. I got, oh, oh, it was cheap. And Palace don't want that. They're, they're like, yeah, yeah, I got this t-shirt. I spent 60 quid on a fucking t-shirt. It's like ridiculous. But by doing that, they've built this, and, and I guess it is mostly amongst kids who are trying to flex, but they've they've built this kind of uh, mystique around the brand of like, it's it's not cheap. It's never cheap. It's always like super expensive. I was um, watching something the other day and they were talking about how Apple continue to make themselves seem a luxury brand, even though now they've got things like an iPhone SE, which is actually relatively affordable. And when they released their new kind of like Apple Tower, like, I don't know if you've seen, but like you can buy wheels that go on it. And each of the wheels costs something like £500 for a wheel. Like it's so ridiculously expensive, but it's it was almost a tactic by them that by making these wheels so stupidly expensive, it shows that they still are a luxury brand because not everyone can afford these wheels. And the only people who are really going to buy them are people who are just going to want that little bit of status to say that, look, I've got this amazing new computer and I bought the wheels for it as well. It's kind of like completely unnecessary, but just this little extra on top just shows that this is a luxury product that not everyone else can have. Yeah. Ever since we did the episode with Rebecca Henderson, which if you've not listened to, I like, I cannot more strongly it's recommend so good. one of our episodes to go back and listen to, but that that chat has fundamentally changed my thinking like i'm 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 thinking about so much of the stuff that was raised in that conversation and talking about purpose and for me i think and I, and i think a certain level of maturity comes as you as you get older because i don't think these were things that i would have considered when i was younger but i think having a purpose around your business and around your brand that is the most important thing. And that is what's going to get buy-in from your audience. And if you're trying to do, like, this is not the podcast. This is not the Get Rich Quick podcast. This is not a show that people should be listening to if they're just trying to make a quick buck. Like, if that's you, like, please don't listen because we're not for you. Like, we're for the people who are trying to make an impact on the world, who are trying to do something positive, who are trying to bring value to people. They're trying to change people's lives through creativity, like through whatever practice they do. And for those people, I think finding their purpose and finding their why is so important. And you can do that with a streetwear brand. You can do that with, uh, you can do that as an illustrator. You can do it as a tattoo artist, like whatever your thing is, it's finding your purpose, finding what you want to change about the world, 
weaving that into every everything you do, every fiber of your brand. And that that to me, it's like the brands that do that are the brands that are currently winning. They're the brands that that are resonating, that are helping people, that are, are moving forward and doing great things in the world. Having that purpose and those brands that are that do display a purpose really, really well. I think that's great. So before this show, we were talking about other brands and how they succeed when it's not based on this level of status. It's almost just a signal that I'm behind this thing. And I think that's where brands like Patagonia will work really well because it's almost like if I want to buy outdoor wear and I decide, okay, actually, I want to also signal that I care about sustainability in the, in the planet, then I'm more likely to buy a Patagonia product than a North Face product, for example. Like I don't know the background of North Face and what how sustainable things they are. They might be equal, but the fact that Patagonia puts themselves out there as being that sustainable one makes me feel like, actually, if I want to signal that that's what I care about, that's who what I believe in, then I'm more likely to buy that product. And I think having a purpose that people can get behind that isn't just something that's specific to you, that is something that other people can like get on board with. As soon as you can get one of those, then if people buy your product, then it signals to other people that you care about that thing too. And I think we're moving into a world now where purpose and being a good person is really, really important. And I think that's more of an impressive signal to people now than just, I have more money than this person. So I think if you can create something that people want to get behind, that seems to be the way to go. Yeah, definitely. And your your purpose doesn't have to be I'm gonna I'm gonna end poverty. Like that's a great yeah. purpose to have, but it doesn't have to be that grand. I think with my personal artwork, I'm trying to brighten people's day. Like it's very much about is a celebration of color and brightness and um and a lot of representation in within the the sort of figures that I choose to paint. But like I'm not trying to end poverty it's it's not it's not like it's not that deep it's i think that's a really important message because i know a lot of younger people when they start brands now they automatically go to i'm going to give 10 percent of my profits to charity because they think that that's the way to have a purpose to get people on board with it get people behind what your genuine message is what you genuinely want to do to the world because a purpose has to come from something that you believe in not something that you just think by having this attached to your brand it will make you better That'll get them so I, yeah. yeah exactly yeah and i think that's why it's really good with your current artwork the fact that you have your message and you're not just like oh there's not some like bullshit story attached to it that no one else is really going to believe in like it's genuine it comes across genuine and i think that's the way to do it isn't well, it thanks mate <laughs> yeah as soon as your your purpose is clear and visible to anyone who is interacting with you and your brand, you will start to to gather those people around you. And sometimes it can take a long time. It's just bit by bit, person by person. But as you find those people that align with you, great things will happen. And I mean, this is a, a cheesy segue, but like that's that happened with us. Like Adobe aligns with us. Like they, yeah. they like got behind the show and they're like, we, we believe in what you're trying to do here. And it, it speaks to what Adobe stands for in terms of like creativity, which is one of their like pure driving forces of, of the entire company, like massive giant corporation, but there's just people that work there. And on a lot, like the, our, our um, partnership came around with them just through someone that works there, listens to the show. And so that opened doors for us. 
It's so funny, isn't it? Because I remember when the first show first started, we always kind of said like, who could be a partner? Who would be someone we'd ever partner with? Because I think we were quite stubborn at the start of being like, well, we're not just going to partner with anyone. We're not going to do it for the money. We're going to find people who will, who align with what we believe in, who's like share our purpose, I suppose. And I remember saying like, oh, like as a pie in the sky idea of like, oh, Adobe would be one of those people that I would love to partner with because I feel like everything that's creative somehow goes through an Adobe product. So yes, yeah, so when they actually got in contact and said like, do you want to do something together? I was like, fuck yeah, let's, of course we do. Like this is such a perfect partnership. And this is another one of those Adobe episodes and this time it's with Sean Gabadon. Yes, indeed. Sean Gabadon is a fashion designer and a former winner of The Apprentice TV show. Sean's career really started on Instagram, building a following and selling via the platform. After her TV appearance, she used the exposure to promote her brand and set up deals with ASOS and House of Frasier. In this episode, we talk about school, The Apprentice and staying motivated. I motivate myself by constantly thinking about where I want to be, why I started doing it and what my aspirations are and where I want to be. What would you say is the favourite part of what you do? I would say that for me, there's two really. There's, there's, the main one is designing the product because that's what I, I'm a designer, like originally, that's what I enjoy doing. Um, and I literally, I could sit and design stuff all day long and not get bored of it. Um, but then the photo shoot side is always fun because as the designer, you get your product or you get your samples, you get it on a model and then that's when it like actually comes to life. So I definitely say the photo shoots and the photo shoots are always fun and like it's not like a job when you're doing a photo shoot, it's just a laugh and you've got the models and music on and we've literally had about three shoots the last couple of days and it's it's exhausting but it's fun. Um, so yeah, they're, they're my top two. Have you always drawn since you were a kid? I've always been quite creative. And then when I got to um, well, at high school, actually, I chose art as one of my subjects. And I was, I'm really good at drawing, like, just, just pictures. So I drew, I think in my final, I drew a picture of Michael Jackson. And he, like, was peeling off his face. And he was the young Michael underneath. It was sick. I, I thought it was really good. Um, I've always been quite creative and good at drawing, but I can do like, you know, like black and white sketches of people's faces. Like I'm quite good at doing them, but I don't really do them anymore now. Was there, was there anyone ever telling you kind of like that art would not, that, that your career would not end up involving art and design? Was it kind of seen as like, oh yeah, she's good at art, but that's not going to be something that she'll go into. You'll go, you'll get a proper job. I never had somebody say that to me, but I, I always a little bit of me did think that because I remember when I went to so I did I did I did art at high school and then I went on to do an A level in it at college. The A level in art at college was not what I thought it was going to be. It was a lot more like arty and I just like drawing nice pictures basically. Yes, yeah, but I remember being in my A level art thinking what am I actually going to do with some of the bits that I'm learning? I'm not really sure. I just like to be creative. And then luckily for me, I had the like the fashion side. And then I thought, okay, this is where I could actually make a career and make money out of it. Um, but I actually think that in like college and maybe in high school, but like they should give you more advice on where it could lead to, like your choices, yeah. where they could go. Because really for us, when I did art, I didn't, I didn't really know what I could do with it. I just liked to be creative. And I picked that because I enjoyed it. I did English language because it was a subject that I knew that there was, you know, 
lots of things I could do with it. Whereas with art, I just kind of thought, well, I don't want to just do things to do them. I want to do it because I enjoy it. Um, yeah, so luckily for me, I found my path. But I think for creative students, they should definitely be more like like aspirational kind of things so that they know what they could do yeah. with it, you know? Yeah, because I feel like a lot of art in education is just kind of like you said there. It's like there's no it's, it never leads to a job it doesn't tell you well you're creative you're using you're an artist this is jobs you can get that involve these skills it's like i'm i'm for art school it's like yeah i did it the same like i love doing it so that's why i picked doing the subject and i remember like i would draw pictures and then my tutor would be like okay well to get this passed by the example we now need to create like a meaning attached to why you did this and i was like well i just did it because i liked it and then she's like yeah but that's not gonna you're not gonna pass by just doing something that you like so then she helped me come up with all these like different ideas of well I'm doing this because this means this and it's like it was all just like rubbish that we just like tacked on to the end of it but yeah I feel like art would be so much more useful if they said okay well you could become a graphic designer you could become like anything that's in the creative field exactly because there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of things that you can do it's just I guess knowing them and I have the same thing when I did fashion at uni I um I love designing and I love clothes and I love fashion and then when I got to uni I really struggled because my tutors were like they wanted deeper meanings for everything so they'd be like why have you done this ruffle on this top and I'd be like well it looks nice and they'd be like, that's not enough though for, for us to pass you. Like, you, you need to tell us why you've put it in this position. And and I used to actually think it were all a, a bit sort of, a, I don't want to swear, but like a load of rubbish. Because I used to think I just, yeah. as sometimes as a designer, you just design what you think looks nice. Um, so when I was at uni, I was, I think the, the tutors got along with me, some of them, but some of them just were like, she has no interest in like the deeper side of fashion. Um, so I was expected a two-two, and I, I loved marketing. So part of the degree was like designing a collection, and then you'd put it to market. And I had quite a good tutor. Well, she never really were in, so I just did my thing. And then <laughs> I got to like the final year, and I thought if I like push the marketing, hopefully that'll bump my grade up. And I literally, when we had the handing day for the marketing, I had a box full of like, I did branded cupcakes. I did all kinds of shit that no one else had really thought of. Everyone else just had like little little booklets that they'd handed in. And that grade bumped me up to a first. So I came out with, I wasn't even expected a first. I think there were about four people in the year that got first. And that was literally just because I smashed the marketing part. And it was only a small section of the of the degree. But yeah, I don't even know how I got on to talking about that, but it just literally was like... But it's it's so important though, because firstly, I think the designers who put a ruffle somewhere completely where a ruffle has never been put before. They're the designers who make waves because they're doing something new and they're going against the grain. So the way that they're teaching you of like, but that's not where we put it is like that, that seems crazy anyway. But then by you sort of going, okay, fair enough, holding your hands up and then, and then going full on into the marketing, it's like, in order for you to have a successful career like the they should have put that marketing course on the same level pegging as everything else because that's that again comes back to exactly what we were talking about of like equipping kids to go out into the world and make a make money doing what they love if you don't have the marketing side then you're screwed yeah i completely agree i think it's a it's a funny one i think with with degrees in general because 
you know, like for me, I thought, had I have not like stepped that my game up in that marketing side and I'd have ended up with a 2-2, that's a massive difference from a first. And, you know, I don't know whether I've got to where I've got because I got a first necessarily, but it definitely helped me get where I have. So the jobs I had, I got marketing jobs straight after and because they knew it was such a high percentage, it helped. And it's a little bit annoying, I guess, because I think had I have... Had I have not got that grade, would I have got to where I'd got? But I would have still had the same talent and the, do you know what I mean? The same yeah. drive. It's um, it's a really interesting one. Because that's the thing. I suppose you can be the most talented creative in the world, but if no one knows that you exist or can ever find you, that's why I think with the degree in general, like being graded on the design side I struggled with because a lot of it was opinion. So a lot of it yeah. was, uh, I'm not sure if I like this design, and I'd be like, but it's my. I designed it, so how can you say you don't like it when we all have our own opinions on on product? And yeah. I'm I'm really chilled out and easy to get along with, but I'm quite outspoken in some ways. So I used to struggle a lot with the tutors because I'd be kind of like, well, how can you give me a lower grade than her when just because you like her design but you don't like mine? And it's it's all about the you know it's just that's just what I've, what my creative side. Also, I suppose it's like the demographic of what you're creating probably isn't for the tutors it's like if so if your your brief was create something that the tutors are going to like then that's a very different thing to what you think is a marketable product exactly and you know back I mean I don't know if it's any different now but my tutors were a lot older so there were a lot of things that I think well you wouldn't wear this product anyway so how can you grade me on how whether you whether you think it's right or not it's it's a really tricky one I guess when it's creative to be to be marked or judged because in my opinion, everybody has their own creative talent and their own way of expressing it. And no one's really right or wrong in that sense. I, I feel like the best way to, to gauge it is like, or in business, it's the market that decides. So it's almost like, let's have a show and whoever sells the most pieces get the, gets the highest grade. Because because really, one person's opinion, it's like in business, me and Adam and Yona, our business partner, when, when we make decisions, it's like, I might not agree with something, but at the end of the day, if it sells, then I'm wrong. I'm just wrong. It's like my opinion means nothing because if something sells, then that's the right decision. Exactly. And that's why I think for me, it was such a a big kind of achievement to do what I've done and to go on The Apprentice and to win it because I didn't have like a bad experience at uni. I, my tutors all got along well with me and we, you know, I did really well, but I had an element of thinking, I kind of want to just prove you all wrong and prove that the way I design my product and sell it I don't follow rules or, you know, follow the guidelines they told me I had to in uni. I just do my own thing. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed kind of taking from the whole experience, I guess, was that I did it my own way. Have you always liked proving people wrong? Yeah, I think I still do, to be honest. But there's times where I'm wrong and I just have to deal with it. You know, you're not always right, but I think there's a there's a little, a nice little feeling when you when you do something and... It might take years for you to prove them wrong or, you know, they probably don't even... Half my tutors probably don't even, didn't even watch The Apprentice, but um, there were a couple of ones that I know will have and they would have been like, oh, they probably would have said good on them, fair play to her. Yeah, I think the best kind of revenge is is the revenge where you never actually get to say to that person because it's like, I always think back to a tutor that I had who said that art wasn't a valid career option for me and that I should be more realistic and there's certain projects that I do that I kind of think, 
mm, there's a good chance she will have seen that and and it's like it's not going up to her and going well you were wrong and this is and here's my portfolio and here's the brands I've worked with etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just this kind of quiet understanding of even if she never found, finds out it's like I know I, a part of me becoming successful was to prove you wrong it was because you said I couldn't do this yeah I agree and I think that's part of Part of success, like, you know, people always say, do you think that you've reached where you're on? I'm like, never, because success is never, you know, I don't think I'd ever think I'm finished. But there's, I think along that path, like you say, there's times where you kind of have a little bit of a, of a you give yourself a pat on the back and you think, yeah, I've actually proved someone wrong or I've, I've reached a little level that I wanted to reach and I'm going to keep climbing. But I definitely think it's just a funny one with tutors because I guess... I bet everybody's got a story like this to tell with tutors where, you know, they've grown up and they've done something. Or, you know, you look at people, I've got friends who were not academic, really, but they've come out of school and they've set up businesses or, and they're really successful now. And back at school, the tutors would have been saying, you're never going to do anything with your life. And they're like, well, I've not done too bad, you know. I think you just have to use what you've got in this day and age. There must be so many people who've been told something by a tutor that has then actually just made them stop doing that. Like, we're obviously fortunate in the fact that we've got that kind of like revenge in as of like, we're going to show them, we're going to do it. But there must be so many people who have the potential to be an amazing creative to actually like start something on their own. But someone gave them a little knock in the past and that's kind of prevented them and they've now gone a completely different road in their life. Yeah, and you never know what could have been had they have just keep pushing. I mean, I'm just trying to think of examples of, of uni where God, our first year we had a big massive class full and by final year, most people had dropped out. And you know, there were times for me where we'd be, we'd be doing a certain subject that I hated or something that was just really not, I mean, we designed some shoes one time and I absolutely hated the whole task. Um, because it was quite a big part of the grade. I remember just thinking, this is going to kill my grade. And I, I, like, I don't want to drop out, but, you know, it's a bit of a killer. Um, but I think the other side, I guess, then to that is, as a character, I always talk about this when I do, like, speeches, especially to kids, and I say, if you get knocked back or a tutor tells you you can't do something, I know it's really cliche, but don't stop there and don't think that that's it, then I'll just change and do something else. Keep going and prove them wrong, keep going and you might fail, but at least you tried it. And at least when you get older or when you, you know, you can say, well, I tried it and I didn't give up because I think it's true. If you are that easy to say, oh, well, I'm not going to do it then, then maybe it's not for you because you've not got that kind of drive to keep going. Yeah. And I think the thing you talked about with the shoes, like you didn't enjoy doing that, but I think it's good the fact you did do it because then you, now you know you don't enjoy doing it. I think that's really important is to try loads of different things because you don't know what you might love. Like you might have done that, like someone else might have taken that course and thought, shoe design, I've never thought of doing this before. But actually, I love doing this. And I think if, you know, if I'd have got to that that part of the of the, of the um, degree and I'd have given up, then, well, I wouldn't have probably been here now. And once I'd done the shoe task, all my other bits I, I quite enjoyed doing. So it was like, okay, I just needed to get over that one hurdle that I wasn't that keen on, but I've tried it. I didn't like it. I'm probably never going to design shoes, but you know, I've got my degree and uh, and it was worth kind of the couple of weeks worth of hassle that I had of doing it. So so after your degree, did you say you went into a marketing role? Yes. So I, um, I did the fashion degree and I got my first and I actually really wanted to go straight into fashion um, and I had a, I had a tutor, I talk about this a lot as well, I had a tutor at, at uni who basically said, without being in London, 
you'll never make it in fashion. And that was one of those that in my head I thought, well, maybe she's right, but I'm going to try prove her wrong because I couldn't really afford to go down to London and do... I, di- I didn't do a placement at uni because I kind of just wanted to get my degree done and then start making money. Um, so I finished uni. I wanted to stay in Leeds. I actually wanted to learn more about marketing because I, I did so well in it and it was a small part and I, only, I didn't learn that much. So I thought if I get a job in marketing, I set up like my Instagram page where I was just designing bits. Um, and I thought eventually then if I want to set up a business or I kind of have all the skills that I'll need. So I started to work for a company called Intermarketing Agency in Leeds. Um, they work with like Adidas and Virgin Trains at the time, like big companies. And it was amazing. Um, I got to like go on shoots and learn how things work. And it wasn't necessarily the fashion industry that I know and I'm in now, but it massively helped me understand how processes work and, you know, just the, the kind of the way things would work. Even f- And I still use some of them things I've learned now with my brand. Um, and then from there, I started to work for... We have Asda House headquarters in Leeds, um, and I started. Okay, yeah. I, I wanted to learn a bit more about the digital, like the media side. So I started to work kind of for Asda House. Absolutely, I don't want to say hated the job because I loved the people I worked for, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, but by that point, the business was kind of running in the back, and that was paying my bills. And the way I kind of set the business up was very kind of gradual and any money I was making was just reinvested. So I thought, well, I can keep working full time. I was getting up early, doing the business, doing bits kind of on my break and then coming home and doing it. And then the money was just going back in. And I thought eventually I'll get to a point where I can leave the job. And that was the point, to be fair, where I went on The Apprentice and then The Apprentice led me to win and to leave the job. And, and I'm here now, but... Yeah, um, I've had quite a journey, to be honest. Um, I've worked in media marketing and now fully in fashion, I guess. So what did a day look like for you at that point? Like, were you kind of working all day and then coming home in the evening and working on your brand? So I, um, God, I still do it now, to be honest. I still get up early, but I'd get up at, say, like five and when I first set up, I was making the bikinis myself, so... I had a spare room that was like a little sewing room. So I'd get up at five, I'd have the orders, I'd be making them, trying to then get them packaged up and ready. So on my way to work, I'd pop them at the post office, go to work. If I had emails, customer service, I'd be kind of doing that on the side. And then I'd come home and be back on emails, back on designing and whatever else. And then the whole of my weekend was just spent doing doing the business. Um and then it kind of got to a point where, I mean, right at the beginning, we didn't have a website. So we were just doing everything through Instagram and we was getting yeah. like DMs and stylists. And then we had to set a website up, which at the time I didn't really want to spend much money on. So I learned how to use WordPress and eventually Shopify and everything just was really organic and low budget. Where were you learning this kind of thing? I did a course in London for like 200 quid. Um, and I learned the basics of WordPress. So the first website we ever had, I did the whole of it myself. I did a photo shoot, really low budget with a, a guy I know. And to be honest, looking now, it wasn't even that bad. Like it doesn't offend yeah. me now. Um, and then, 
Shopify, I, I didn't do a course or anything like that. It, Shopify, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's it's much easier than WordPress was. Yeah. So that just was a gradual changeover. And obviously it's, it's completely different now, but I quite enjoy that. I know what, what I tried to do with a business was know every single part of it. So if ever I didn't have someone or I didn't have that, I could, I could do it myself. Cause that's one of the things that I think I, I didn't like the idea of, of having to rely on people. And I think even now, one thing I struggle in business is not being able to like get stuff done myself. Yeah. Because people can be very unreliable. So I share that exact same philosophy of like, if you're doing anything in a business, like if you learn to do it yourself first, then at least when you give it to someone else, you know whether they're doing a good job. Exactly. Or not. And what is hard is the fact that that person is never going to do as good a job as you in your mind. But it's just kind of thinking like, well, what they're doing is okay. It's good enough. You just have to let go, don't you? It's, it's one of the hardest things when you first start is that, I, I mean, I used to find myself like rewriting people's emails because they're, because a sentence wasn't how I'd say it. And it's, so, it's such a stupid thing, but, but you, you have, you ha- there's a certain point where you have to let go. Otherwise you just go completely crazy. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest or the hardest part of, of, my business was was doing that and kind of handing it over and letting other people take over because like you say you kind of have to realize that no one's ever going to care as much about it as you because it's you know it's my name it's my business but getting the right kind of staff and people on board who who do care is so vital because you know it's different from when I was working at Asda I didn't enjoy the job and you know I'd give it my all but my heart wasn't in it Whereas I would like to employ people whose heart is semi in it. I know it's never going to be as in it as mine is, but who actually care and relate to the brand and would buy the product and and care because it's hard to... God, so many offices I've worked in where I've realised that people don't even care about the job. They're just doing it to make money and to pay the bills. And, you know, I guess as a person, I'm just... That's not me. And my staff, I'd like to hope, care about me and the brand, so... Yeah, and I think when people are job hunting, it's their responsibility to actually ask questions of the employer because I think so often all they're thinking about is I need to get this because I need to get a paycheck and so they're just answering all the questions that the employer is giving them and they're like yeah yeah because they're just desperate to get it but I think you need to go into these situations and just be like what do you guys believe in like what's your what are your core values and and work somewhere that that you give a shit about even if you're not going to be there forever learn somewhere work somewhere where you can learn something work somewhere where you actually care what they're doing exactly and I think that's why you know students and people that are kind of fresh out of uni are so keen and like eager and that's one of the things that I've realized that the younger audience are kind of because they, they just want to learn and they want to do and they've not worked or the, and they want experience, they kind of bend over backwards and they want to be involved in everything and every photo shoot. Whereas it's harder, I guess, when somebody's, you know, some people had worked in my old offices for years and years and years and they'd lost that spark and that, you know, they, yeah, didn't, yeah. They, they, they just worked there for a long time. And for my brand, I need like energy and excitement and fun. So before the website was up and running, what were your Instagram tactics? Were you kind of creating a collection and then just posting out photos of it? Would you, or were you doing individual pieces and then posting like, what was your content schedule? It's so funny when I think back now to, to how much things have changed and how we work. But 
we like back right at the beginning it wasn't even like I said right I'm gonna have this full collection and we're gonna put it all to market on this day and then we're gonna do it literally was almost just I made the odd little piece that I just designed and I thought looked nice I didn't think about a collection or the colors or I just did it with what I could find as well because we were using I was using um the local market to source the fabrics um and then when I started to get the interest, there were quite a few things that happened that led me the way I went. So like we had stylists saying, I've got so-and-so going away and she wants this, but can she have it in black? And can we have this in leopard? And we kind of just said, yeah, we can source all the fabrics. And, and, and I did it. Um, and that helped them because when we, when I, st- I keep saying we, it was literally me. When I started to grow, I thought, okay, so we'll add in a black color here and we'll have leopard because leopard will always sell. And, kind of built the range out that way so it was very just like one piece here one piece there and then a cover-up and whereas now it's completely different than you know than the way we used to work but I actually am really glad that I did it that way because it was never where I sat and you know I never left a job and said right I've got 10 grand that I'm going to invest and I'm going to go for it with this business it kind of just grew and I got to test the water I guess in a sense because I didn't put any pressure on it. I just had the products and I thought, well, if they sell, they sell. If they don't, you know, it's fine. And and they did. And it just, you know, it helped me get to, to where I got. At what stage did you transition into having, well, these are the same top in like four or five different sizes. And then also like knowing how much of each one to make and all of those kind of things. So that was, that was a, another transition of the business I guess was winning and then going into mass production because what happened Mm -hmm. was it was all very kind of small scale and then when we started to to get a bit busier I had staff who would produce the garments so I had kind of a mini production line um but then once you know once you kind of get into retail and you're doing bigger numbers and you're getting bigger bulk orders there was no way of doing it that way because cost-wise and whatever else it just wouldn't work so we ended up then obviously having to go into mass production which is a, a whole to me uh, that was a whole new field um yeah. and it is it's difficult to work out well how many you know you need say sizes 6 to 16 you might need bigger smaller whatever it depends how you work um then how do we split how many you know say we're going to buy x amount how do we know how many size sixes to get and how many and that was all like a huge sort of learning curve and a test to begin with because you know it it was something that was new to me and we kind of tested the water and now even now you know a couple of years in where i say this to everyone but we're in the strongest position we've probably ever been in because everything i've needed to learn along the way is, is has kind of come to this point and because of the way the industry works you're almost like a full year ahead with everything. So, yeah. for example, our next summer collection, next winter collection is pretty much sampled and we've shot it and it's ready for retail. Um, so having to transition into into the way that worked was like a whole task in itself, I guess. Um yeah, and we're only just about in the in the position where we're ready. And do you now have all the data, for example, like if you make a new line, like what sizes and the amounts you're going to make of each one? Yeah, a lot, of it, like, is, a lot of it is dependent on the retailer, I guess, as well, and on, and on what they order. And then we kind of will bulk it out based on that to what we need. But then from our own website data, we know what sizes 
we sell more of generally and you know so it's yeah we've that's what I mean it's take it takes a while just to test the water and mass production is a whole different ball game made to order in some ways is easier because you know what you're making and you can do it yeah but to make the numbers and to get where you need to I guess the retailers are what you need so I think that's really important because when you start anything it's like you could spend so much time trying to work out trying to guess trying to do all the research about who you think might buy it but then it's like as we talked about earlier like it's not until you actually release it until you show it to other people that you're going to work out what does work and what doesn't work I remember like back in the day we like we decided we'd make a t-shirt range and it was massively unsuccessful because we just bought loads of all sorts of different things we're like oh well, what sizes should we buy and just went on google and just like what's the average things that people buy and I think even until this day, I think we've still got a couple left in the drawer somewhere that were just the wrong size. And I think that's fine because it's like if we actually did another one, we could use that initial research or initial data from what we did sell. And then you're not going to make a bit less of a loss the next time until you get to a stage when everything's a bit perfected. Exactly. I think it's all kind of testing the water. And like you say, you know, look at coronavirus. I mean, that there's so much that just happens in the world that can change things. And you could yeah. do all the research in the world. And, you know, you could have launched a swimwear brand this year that was set to be the best swimwear brand ever. And it would have been an absolute washout because of corona. So it's, it's all trial and error. And even as a successful business and as a, you know, a medium to large size business, there will still be things like that happen there'll be still things where you test the water and see and if it don't work well we'll pull that back and we'll try it this way and it's uh, it's just constant and I think that's why in business like because everybody who who I speak with always say I want to set up a business and how do I start and I think there's the initial start is like are you ready for it? And are you like, as a person, do you think you can handle it? Because it's not just about having an Instagram page that looks nice and posting pictures that look good. Like it's actually a lot behind the scenes that you don't get to see. That's a, that's a pain and it's drama and it's hard work. So I think, um, but I'd always say do it like, you know, give it a try. But I think a lot of people are unsuccessful because they haven't got the, the, the drive and they hit a hurdle and they kind of just say, oh, well, it's not going to work. So Yeah, because I suppose a lot of times people will just look at someone's Instagram account and think, oh, well, her job's easy. She just goes to the beach all the time and gets some photos taken and that's all you need to do to run a, a successful company. Yeah, and it's completely not. I think even with my Instagram, like I'll post all the fun bits and, oh, yeah, I'm on a shoot or I'm, you know, doing this, that and the other. But then I'm like... You don't see when I'm in the office at like half 11 at night, stressed out or, you know, working on a project that's just taking all my time and barely going home. And like, no one really sees that because that's not really fun to watch, but it happens. <laughs> and that's how it, that's the reality, I think, of business. How much time do you get to still do what you love, the designing side, or are you being pulled away by the business a lot? I'm, I am pulled away quite a lot, but... Because of the way that we are with retail as well now, it kind of, I, I, I slot it in as like a pocket into my schedule. So I know that, uh, you know, whatever month I'm going to dedicate three weeks to starting the process of the designing and by X date I need it ready. So no matter what's going on, that's always part of a priority. I think be, before even The Apprentice, I guess, when I started to grow, it was so hard because I was like, trying to just do every single thing myself. I had the yeah. website, I was designing and making and and it just was like, God, you know, you could be the fittest and healthiest person in the world, but 
your mental health would never be able to last working that way. Um, so now, even more so, because I've got people that can help, I'm like, right, I'm going to have to let you do this and just hope that I can trust that you'll do it well. And I just kind of oversee. So from a lot of people that we've talked to, and I think it's something that I've really learned over, because we've had our business for like 10 years now, I think it's really important to make sure there's always, you're always doing the thing that you love within the business. Because I think it's very easy to become a manager and get a bit swept away with the whole business side of things. But I think it's important to always keep what you love as part of what you do every day. It's obviously not going to be 100% of it because you get because you have responsibilities and other things. But I think it's really important that you never let go of all the design work, for example, because that's obviously why you got into it. Because I design it, I can't really hand that to someone anyway because it's my designs and it's a bit of me. Um, and that's what I think kind of was an eye-opener that I thought, well, you know, for instance, the website, I can do it all myself, but I can give somebody it to do and they can do the same job that I would have done. Whereas designing, for example, if I gave someone a task and said, can you design me some some stuff, I'd probably get it back and think, mm, don't think I like them, I'm going to have to redo them. So, but I think then aside from that, like you say, for me, I want to be doing what I enjoy and I did this because I enjoy it and I don't want to you know if I'd have wanted to be a manager as such I would have gone down a different route it's it's just doing what you enjoy and I guess what you're best at too that's how I see it and I think with staff it's the same I like my staff to be brought in if what I wanted them to do is not what they're best at then let's see what else you're better at and we'll let you do that if you're happy with it that's how I I just want to get the best out of everyone and get the best job done in terms of marketing, is there anything that you learned back on your course in the early days that you still employ now? There's the basic stuff, I guess. Like, um, I guess because, I've, because I'm quite creative, like I'd said when I handed in all my stuff, I literally went way out and just did every type of marketing you could think of just to tick the boxes. And I kind of use that in, in everyday life. Like, I like to try and do more than what somebody else would have done. So, for instance, in The Apprentice um, with Lord Sugar, when when I was kind of pitching to him the, the brand, I'd try to go above and beyond and, like, wow him. And that's what I kind of like to do, I guess, with everything. I want to... I want to I want to be remembered, so I want to do something that no one's done or, you know, take a cupcake with my picture on it so they'd remember who I am. Or And when I was in the apprentice process or before I actually got on it and I was auditioning, um, I, in my head I thought, how can I, how can I do that without going in with a bag of cupcakes and then thinking this is just too <laughs> much, do you know what I mean? So I try to be unconventional, I guess, and not and think about, right, everybody else is going to go in and say the same thing that we all know they're going to say that they're the best at this and da, da, da. and I think I went in more just as me and I was I wasn't trying to sell myself too much I was just saying this is what I do and this is what I'm good at and I think that helped because I think people go too overboard with it and then they become the same because everybody's going overboard yeah. so you have to kind of bring a bit of you and say well this is why I think I'd be good on the show or whatever I think it's one of those those things that so many people don't understand. They see what everyone else is doing and they go that way. And your gut reaction really should be, 
let me see what everyone else is doing and then go the absolute opposite way. And I don't understand why not enough people realize that. I think like for me and Adam, part of our business is painting like hand painted um, advertisements. We do like big billboard, but they're, they're painted by hand. And I think the reason they work so well is because it's not expected. Everyone normally sees a billboard and it's just a normal poster. And so they walk by it because it's just background noise. But we decided let's do something completely different. It's the same message, but delivered in a totally different way. And it captures people's imagination. And so every time we make a business decision, it's always looking at, well, every all the crowd is going over here. So that's saturated. It's been done. I, I mean, we, we did it with the podcast of like, this is this is what everyone else does so let's try and do something a little bit different so we stand out and so that people actually listen to your show it's like yeah do the opposite it's hard to find the balance because i have that same kind of thing where i think well if everyone's doing this i'm going to try and do it a different way i'm going to try and stand out but then there's sometimes where i think maybe people aren't doing it this way because it doesn't work so maybe that's why everybody's doing it this way but in business i think the beauty is in some ways you can test the water and if it doesn't work, no one necessarily knows if you do it the right way. Like, I think I think you have to be different because it is true. Every single industry is saturated. And I think social media is ace. But I think it's, you know, social media gives everybody a platform to set up a business, to be an influencer, to do whatever they want to do. But it, it has meant, or I felt like it's meant that everything has become saturated because everybody is suddenly doing it. Everybody owns a business, so everybody's you know got a clothing brand. So I guess that's what I always say when I when I go do speaking events is you you know everyone can set up a brand or a, a fashion brand, but you really really need something that makes you different to everybody else that's doing it because you know you could buy a tracksuit and stick your logo on it, but everybody's doing that so how are they going to buy yours over theirs what is different about it and it's you know that's business in it it's making yourself stand out and be a bit different and what kind of stuff do you do to stand out that's a big question well I guess the first part of what we do is have me as the forefront and my designs the apprentice was huge for us because that was the platform that you know, it's quite sad, really, that you could have the most talented designer in the world, but if no one knows about them, no one knows about them, no one's going to buy the product. And even for me, before The Apprentice, you, you know, there's, there's so far you can get with socials, which if you've got your ads right, you know, you smash it. But I felt like I got to a point where I thought, I, without taking this massive risk now of leaving my job, I'm, I don't know how much further I'm going to be able to go like this. So being able to get the investment and have that cash and be able to do what I need to was massive. And then the exposure was like the most ridiculous type of exposure you could imagine for a, for a brand. Um, but I think what I'm what we're more doing now is looking at our audience and looking at as data and looking at okay. We don't just want to be another swim brand and we don't just want to be, you know, we've, we tried a bit of loungewear to see if it worked and it did. So we're like, okay, that's a second revenue stream that if we do it right now and we properly promote it and we do, we've got a collection coming out soon that's like a sick collection. Whereas the one at the minute, I don't like to say it's not, it's not good because I'd never say it, but it was a very basic range that we just tested the water with. The new range is me, so it's, got a bit of my kind of flair and a bit more to it so you know for us it's kind of just looking at the market and looking at what works and what doesn't and then 
bringing a bit of me into that into that design or into that swimwear piece whatever it is and and pushing it and seeing how we get on um but I think it's yeah the audience is key and that's one thing that we've we've had quite a few years of knowing what they want and what they don't and you know and pushing on with it what advice would you give to people who are thinking about maybe using influencer marketing for their brand? I would say, do you know what? I, I think it depend on what the business was that there was going to be setting up or promoting. Um, just do do your research. I mean, I'd say do your research, but then sometimes it's it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard and it really works when you get it right. But then it can also really not work when you don't do it right. Um, and you could do all the research in the world on some people and think, well, they're getting loads of likes and, you know, they've got loads of comments and the engagement's great. But sometimes it just wouldn't work for your brand. So I think it's just making sure, especially if you're spending a lot of money on it, you know, that you that you just make sure they're right for you first it's a really difficult one and you know we've tried things that haven't worked and I've thought this cannot not work because everything yeah. about this person is what we need and it just it just doesn't but then you'll get your micro influencers who are gifted and it you know and they do better than the than the girls where you've paid or that have got massive followings it's it's a funny industry I guess because yeah, sometimes the micro-influencers or the bloggers who have the really, really loyal followings that actually care what they're wearing, they'll they'll smash it. Um, but then, you know, you could get someone who's just come out of a TV show who's got a massive following and a super popular and they'll get you all the press in the world and all the orders in the world. It's, um, it's, a, really, it's a really tricky kind of path. I suppose it's like anything where you've just got to try it and see what works because especially with like like Facebook ads and Instagram ads and things like that it's like the first time you put them out they're probably not going to work because you're not good at advertising yet and you don't know exactly who your audience are and I think it's the more times you do it the more money you put into it the more feedback you get from it I think that's the thing it's like if you use your marketing budget for basically getting feedback and learning more about your audience to start with rather than just driving sales because if all you're going to do is drive sales, then you're constantly just fighting like these little battles. Whereas- I think, and I think that's massive with marketing in general is that the, the sales and the conversion. I mean, God, like you say, with, with ads, it's never going to be instant necessarily. It mm-hmm. might be on influencers if you if you can get the right person in it straight away. But I think, especially as a new brand, it's you need to kind of warm your audiences up first you need to get them ads hitting them so they say oh who's this and then they look into you and they're like well and then they get another ad where it might be an influencer wearing it who they like and then they say yeah I'm going to buy it now Um, and that again like ads that was all quite new to me you know I'd done some boosted posts and spent little bits of money before but had no no understanding of how it worked and now I've got the right people in place who just have so much knowledge of it that you know, if, if you go in in blind, it's easy to spend money and not see a return. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes it does take time to to kind of get them audiences warmed and ready to buy. So what does the marketing campaign like look like for you now? So like say you've just got this new product launching, what would be your go from there? It's different, I guess, for us because we've got, like we said, we've got the data and we've got the, you know, the, the kind of databases. So we, when we do email campaigns, we've got a massive database that we hit out um but we generally will have the shoots where i think now we're more inclined to getting girls who are 
unknown or people recognize them because content is so key um content is massive and that's one thing that we've worked on massively with this collection that we're bringing out is you know if we're doing ads we can get girls wearing it but we need our content to be like aspirational so when we're hitting these girls they're like this is what i want to look like or this is what you know i love this outfit i love the way it's styled um and because we're bringing out the loungewear it's kind of different with swim because you can style it but only to a certain extent yeah whereas loungewear is very much especially what we're bringing out because it's like hoodies and tracksuit sets and if you if you style it right like it it looks sick um so for us you know we'll kind of have starts with a shoot then we'll get prepped for launching so we'll get some ads in place where we might start to target a few people just saying coming soon or maybe we'll yeah I think what we'll what we normally do is have a competition but that'd go when we launch to say right tag your bestie and win this set just to get that interaction right up and to drive people to the pages um but it's quite I mean we'd have the social pages we have the email campaigns everything would go out at once and then you kind of have a plan for the first month where say every week you're going to have 10 girls in an outfit they're going to be posting and tagging and even still for us now you know we've got quite a big database of girls and and influencers but we're still trying new things and trying new girls and building that campaign out so you know it's not it's not stale and we're not just using the same girls all the time yeah um, but i think this loungewear is different for us because we're we're going to push it differently and like we're going to have our, our its own kind of Instagram page that we're going to build from scratch and it's going to be almost a, a separate part of the brand, I guess, and we'll keep the swim going, but that goes it's did, very seasonal. And did the loungewear come from like a reaction to COVID because people aren't going to be out in swimsuits so much, but they will be in home? No, so it, we had the lounge. We had the lounge, I think, last... We, we launched it end of last year because, like I said, swimwear's pretty seasonal. We have an international audience, but it's still fairly small. So we were like, well, we need to do something to try and cover us kind of over winter. So we tried party wear and loungewear. Um, I wanted to go down lounge more than I did party anyway because, I mean, both are very saturated, but I think party needs to be done properly, like... Yeah, it needs to be done properly. So we did um, did both. The lounge, we kept very simple and it just was an easy sell. You know, everybody needs a sweatshirt and a hoodie, whether they're young, old, whatever. Um, so it was much more successful, I guess, than the party. The party still sold, but I think it was more specific and younger audience. My mum would have never yeah. bought a, a dress from me, whereas she'd buy my lounge all day long. She bloody lives in my jumpers. Um so then it was kind of like, well, for next winter, we know that that worked and we know it's sold. So let's ramp it up now and let's do it properly and, you know, put some some proper budgets behind it. Um, so it's quite exciting because shooting it, I'm lucky it's sat over here, but shooting it last week was like seeing it come to life and seeing that vision kind of like, yeah, that's that's what I wanted and that's where I wanted it to be. So now we've just got to see what the reaction's like to it. Do you ever stop and look back and kind of like reflect on where you've come? No, not not really because I'm, I think because I'm so busy and so like, like constantly looking at what's coming up, I never really stop and look, look at where we've come to. And I guess part of that as well is being, being partnered with Lord Sugar, 
you know, having like we have monthly catch up calls and we'll run through the plan for the month or what's happened the last month. And um, you never really sit and think, God, remember when I was just sewing these bikinis in my bedroom in like 20 whatever when I was at, at uni? I never think that. I always think about what I'm, what I want to improve and what I want to be better at, and you know this collection that's coming out next week, and it's yeah, it's. Um, do you ever? Well, I think it's something that I've started to a lot more recently because I think it's so easy to just get caught in that rat race, be just like head down, head forward, and then you kind of you stop actually. If you look back, then you actually start to appreciate where you've come, and it's like it, it's such a different feeling to be like okay that's where I've come from and I can feel proud of that and then also it's just like just stopping to think like am I still heading in the direction that I want to go because I think that's really important as well because if you have your head down for so long just looking forward then you might actually be like actually have I turned have I got to a destination I actually wanted to get to or have I just kind of like ran forever so it's like walking in the desert where you can't actually tell where you're going to go you might actually spend your like all your time head down and then you've walked in a massive circle whereas actually if you've got kind of like your north star of like somewhere you're heading towards then you're always heading in that direction i think the the apprentice is such a strange one because it's so kind of random and you just never expect what happened to happen necessarily that before that everything was very kind of chill and i did my thing and my business was there and you know it was plodding along and i guess now because of the investment and because of the way it works it feels like it's just everything's like me pushing, pushing constantly, almost because it's not, it's not more pressure because I like to still think, look, it's my, I'm doing what I want to do and it's my business, but it's different when you've got like a partner and they want to know what's going on and you have figures and you have to look at what's, you know, it's, it's different to how it used to be. So, but I like to think that I like to be that way and I like to be quite busy and head down and constantly on it. Um, I mean, COVID, I had probably a week or two of just chill, like doing absolutely nothing. And by the end of it, because my, my boyfriend is a businessman and he's very much like I am. And we loved having a bit of time together. But then after a couple of weeks, we were like, we just need to go back to normality now because I'm <laughs> losing my mind. Like, like I think being busy constantly, it's weird because you want to have a break, but then you have a break and you think... I just want to be busy again now. Like, I want to get back to it. I think it's always a nice way to get that excitement back. Like, I find so often I'll go away somewhere and I'll be like, great, not, I'm glad I'm away. And then towards like, the second half, I'm like, oh, actually, I've had this idea now and I can't put it into action until I'm back in the UK. And it's like, oh, shit, actually, now I really can't wait to get back. And it just, it's good to stop because I feel like it gives you the excitement to, like, carry on going again. Yeah, I agree. I think I agree, yeah. I think one of the good things about The Apprentice is that a lot of these shows kind of, you come out of them and then you can ride the momentum for a certain amount of time and then you've had your 15 minutes of fame and then that's kind of it. But it feels to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me with The Apprentice, it's like you've still got that support um, because they've got a vested interest and you're, you're much more equipped to have like a sustainable, it's great to get you on the map and for people to discover your work, but then it also kind of sets you up running as you come out of it rather than just this quick like, hi, I'm here and then you're, obscure yeah definitely I think I think other shows have that and I think The Apprentice still does to some extent but I think because it's a business show um you know you look at like Tom who was on it last year and he because of that platform now he's probably going to be okay for life because he will have met 
made some money off the back of the show. He'll have a steady business now that's doing well, and he can just keep going. And he's got that, still got that presence and that familiarity. Um, and I think that's the difference. I think you could go on a show where you know you're in it, and at the time everything's heightened, and it's you know you're getting papped and whatever. But then, unless you set up your own business that you can keep and keep up there, once that dies down, you're kind of forgotten about in a sense. Whereas it's quite nice that pretty much everyone on The Apprentice has a business. So if they've done it the right way, they can use that hype to still keep that business making money. Whether their own hype is gone, the business should still be all right. And they can use... That's one of the things, you know, you think about the data that you get from the show and from like the finals where your website just goes ridiculous, your, your views and your everything is just crazy. And if you can capture all that at that time, you've got that then. No one can take that away from you. Yeah. Um, whereas I guess some of the shows, it doesn't really work like that. Did you have your mailing list set up as soon as you were in on the show or was that something that came afterwards? You did. Do you know what? There's still things now though that I'm like... I wish I would have done this at the time or because you're not really sure what's going to happen or how, you know, how things will happen. Um, but you do know that when it gets to the final that you'll probably get like when you post on Instagram, you get loads of likes and comments. But like website wise, I wish now I'd have done so many things because even just things like having a product that was just a generic product, like say I'd done a T-shirt that just said Team Sean, like that would have made me so much money in that final but, I did, you know, you just don't know. Um, it was hard because I guess my product was still quite specific to, to swimwear and to females. If I'd have just brought out something quite generic, it'd have been ace. But, you know, you kind of live and learn. I've still got... That's why my face masks have been a huge success because it's been able to kind of use Lord Sugar as well, I guess. He's got, you know, massive, massive millions of followers on Twitter who are very loyal, who... You know, the go straight to your website when he sends a link and they'll try your product and um it helps we swim but but masks, you know, everybody needed a mask and, and the government said you had to wear one, so I suppose it gives it gives people a chance to support you as well because I, I think personal yeah. brand is really important and a lot of times people will just buy products from people that they like just to support them but it's like I'm not like if I don't have a wife or a girlfriend then I'm not going to buy your your cosy just to put it in a shelf like that's that's not going to happen but if you do sell something that I can use then just to support you then a lot of people are going to do that that's where it's hard because as a brand you think well I know I can make loads of money by doing this but then for my brand is that the right thing to do and I think there's you know like I'd said with the face masks even them originally I was thinking I don't really want to look like I'm trying to make money from what's going on because I really I'm not it was more just something to to keep the business going and to keep everybody busy um and I was thinking as a swimmer brand does it kind of work I'm not sure but I think you have to try things you know if I decided to bring out a trainer range, it would probably be very random and it would lose what we are and what we're about. Whereas to bring out, for instance, the lounge, it's finding how they link, it still links to the swimwear and looks like a brand and not just like yeah. a, a, its, own, its own loungewear brand. It's really tricky, but I think as a creative, that's what I quite enjoy. It's like, okay, I want to bring this product out, but how can I make it link and fit and not just be a random product? Um, 
So yeah, it's uh, it's funny. What's your creative process like? Do you sit down? Do you go right twelve o'clock? I'm sitting down and I'm going to brainstorm some ideas, or do you have to wait until something like pops into your head in the shower and then you're like, oh, I'm going to do that? It's weird because do you know what? I have dreams about a lot of things sometimes. I know it sounds like I'm like I'm lying, but more recently, I think because because my process has got better, so. Originally, I'd be a bit kind of all over the place and I'd just get an idea and think, oh, I'll just draw that on this piece of paper. And Whereas now I kind of have it set as a schedule and I'll say, right, I'm going to do some designing today or whatever. But I'll always find bits of inspo that I'm screenshotting and, you know, my, my pictures on my phone are ridiculous. Like, it, it doesn't even make sense, some of the things I've screenshot. So I'll be, like, designing a range and there'll be something really minor that I'm like, oh, I just don't know if that if that colour beige works in this on this tracksuit and then I'll dream about it and it'll be in pink and I'll be like pink that's the, it, it's better in pink I'm going to change it it's so weird I don't know why that happens but yeah but my process now is very much more like okay at 12 o'clock I'm or today this whole day is dedicated to designing I'm going to sit I'm going to make a mess on the floor I'm going to get fabric samples and you know an inspo and just whack out some designs whereas beforehand it was a bit more my house would just have like shit lying around that was reminding me of things and yeah got a bit more of a process now i think the whole sleep thing is really interesting because i think it's basically just your subconscious working out overnight for you like i was i was doing something the other night where it's quite an interesting thing actually i'd never done it before but um i just started writing down my thoughts and just like sat there for like an hour and a half in the evening and i felt like i probably shouldn't have done it in the evening because i just dreamt about it all night but I was there just kind of like writing a thought and then I was like thinking about it and then write the next thing that I thought about down and just had this like two pages of just like a stream of consciousness but written down and because it was written down it allowed me to think about it even more and then by the time I went to bed I like I had my um had my notepad with me like next to the bed and I woke up about three times and I had to go and write something else in it <laughs> that was like the answer to the questions that I'd been asking myself in the things. So yeah, it's really interesting the fact that your brain does continue to work about things. So if you give it enough like stimulus, it will work everything out for you, which is great. Cause it's like you've got an assistant there, but just like that should work in your sleep. I agree. You're so weird. <laughs> that's a bit weirder than the dreaming about it i think you were like sleep writing <laughs> what what would you say um the biggest thing you've learned in business has been because I, I guess after the show you're kind of thrown into the deep end i don't know if i could give like one big thing it's just loads of little things um mm. one thing that was very um big on lord sugar's list was brandon um and he was very much like because he, he said, he was like, you know, the market is so saturated. And he was kind of saying the price point, I think it's too expensive potentially. And would you consider loan it? And I was kind of saying, I think I want to keep it where it is. So then we decided, okay, we need to make the branding very prominent or it'd be very obvious that it's your product. So people will want to buy it because it's your product and you don't look the same as Boohoo or, you know, whoever else. Um, so... We, that was like the, one of the first things that we properly worked on and having like an emblem and having something that not necessarily meaning I've got my, my name written across everything. And, you know, with the new lounge range, it's quite simple, but we're trying to make it us. So it's still quite obvious that it's a Charme Marie. Um, and it's hard in fashion because without writing the name across the front, you have to yeah. think of creative ways of doing it that still look good. That's not just a big logo or, um, you know, whatever. So I think... 
then it's getting the right people in it and there's so many elements to it but the branding was definitely a big thing um i'd probably say influences to some extent where i'd i'd say in that sense i learned that quite quickly that you don't need to spend loads of money to have a successful campaign with influencers necessarily um you know we worked with michelle keegan completely gifted we didn't pay a penny and that to this day is the best influence we've ever worked with because it all was very organic she didn't even tag us in a post it wasn't even like we agreed it with her she she got the, the product she wore it and I think because we had the apprentice at the time too so the style was quite we des- I designed that piece on the show so people linked it instantly to me and were tagging me in the post and we sold out of it literally in that first day of her wearing it and posting it with no tags um and that for me was like okay that's a very successful and very cheap way of doing it the problem with gifting is you just never know if they're going to wear it and you know you could gift 100 girls and one girl wears it and it's a success but you know then you could pay him 100 girls and get nothing back as well it's it's a really well i think that kind of goes to show the quality of a product because i think i could make i could make some stuff now and pay loads of people to wear it but it probably wouldn't sell because i'm not a fashion designer and it wouldn't be very good whereas like if you've got something good and people are willing to share it for free i think word of mouth is such a like a important thing it's like if like if you've got a really quality thing everyone someone's bought just bought it and then shares that with their friends friends then you know that's a quality product because without you even having to do anything. But that, I think that's the best kind of marketing. That's what I think is missing a lot now is it's as a designer, it's still quite like painful to feel like you have to pay somebody to wear a product that you've designed because you want them to wear it because they like it. And, you know, like Michelle Keegan, we've had a few girls, to be honest, who we've had that with where they've, they've just been gifted it and they've worn it because they've liked it. And that's really, as a, as a designer, what you want. You know, you don't want to really have to pay people to wear it. You want them to say that bikini is the nicest bikini I've ever seen. I want to wear that on my holiday to look good. Um, but then, you know, there's so many brands now and there's so many people wanting to gift and give them products that it's kind of just, it's hard. It's a hard industry. It's like what we said earlier, though, about how the market will decide. And I think what, what Adam said there about if, if you're sending them a really quality product. Um, and, and I think like if if I was sending out a product, whatever it might be, whether it's a chocolate bar or a, or a pair of knickers, whatever it is, I would write a note and I would say, if you like this, like if you like this, then please tell people about it. If you hate it, then tell people about it. Just I just want you to be honest. It's kind of like giving them a prompt of like, let let me know genuinely what you think about this because then you can then use that that's like valuable feedback and then again if you do send it to 100 girls and none of them wear it then i don't think that's down to money or anything like that i think it's down to, that would be down to the product part of it as well is that you know like the whole ads thing where you're retargeting the truth is if if somebody's bought a product and they hated it you could retarget them all day long with your new products, but yeah. they're probably not going to buy it because they didn't like the first one anyway. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when it comes to fashion, it's right. Your, your craftsmanship, your fabrics, everything that you're using needs to be spot on or it needs to be dirt cheap where you make it look good and it's cheap and they get it and think, well, it we're only a tenner, but it looks good. Uh, that's not my path and that's not the way I'd want to do it. So for me, the product needs to fit right, look good. Swimwear is hard because it's, 
you know, it's fitted and it needs to fit right. Um, so, you know, we have like the reversible styles, the multi-way. We do things to try and be a little bit different and let people use their own creativity on it. Yeah, so I think basically you, you have to have your product quality, finish, everything bang on. So when they do that first purchase, they get it and think that was worth 50 quid. I'll buy another one. That's the word. And then you... You know, it's pointless having a massive database of people who don't like your product. <laughs> well, I suppose that would be an interesting thing to do as someone like selling to consumer is just email everyone who's already bought something and say, what did you think of this? Could you, do you mind filling out a survey and like, what did you think of the quality? What did you think of the print? Would you buy this again? Just asking that stuff because it's like, it's better to probably get the information from the people who didn't like it than the people who did, because then you can hopefully adjust to actually change things to appeal to everyone yeah and you know what one of the things that we brought out um once the apprentice had finished was we call it like modest swimwear because i literally had so many messages from muslim girls saying we can't get modest wear that's like young and, and nice um and I had a little look into it and i was surprised at how little there was and i thought well let's just try a piece because we were still doing some made to order elements um we made a couple, well, we made one piece that was very simple. It had a little bit of like the Charmerie branding on and we've tried to price it fair and it worked really well. And I felt like that was an instance where we used a little bit of feedback, I guess, and, and you know, me just getting DMs from loads of girls. And I thought, well, that's what I like that we could, even now we can still be quite reactive and we're not too set in our ways where we can't, if we want to just bring something out tomorrow, we, we still could. Um, but I definitely think that that was quite a big one for us where we were like, let's just try it and see yeah. what happens. I think that's so important. I think if you're selling any kind of product, if you if people start asking you for it before you've even launched it, that's when you know, because the market's already decided that. They're already saying that we want this. And I think like, it works so often with people who like are just getting started and they've got a product that they're, or they're doing something. And it's like a lot of people will just make a product, force it out, whether people want it or not but I think if people start asking like if you've got a personal brand and people start asking you for t-shirts with your name on then start making t-shirts with your name on to give to people because they obviously already want it it's supply and demand yeah. isn't it it's it's is the demand there for it it's almost demand and supply rather than supply and demand because it's like you don't want to just supply it it's, and then the demand be there it's like as soon as people start demanding it then start supplying it to them it's true it's really true because some people I know we'll be like setting up a brand and saying, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this, I don't know, loungewear brand. Um, I like this brand and I want to do it like theirs. And I think, well, there will be some demand there because they obviously are doing really well with it. But yeah. them customers are buying from them because they're them. So what what do you think will make them buy it from you and not them? It still needs to have some edge to it. So yeah. It's like instead of instead of trying to steal someone else's audience, build your own. So you mentioned um, uh, very early on in the interview about how people should keep going and um, develop like a drive. You're obviously a very driven person. How do how do people motivate themselves and uh, get that get that drive? I think it depends on their situation and what their goals are in general. So like. I motivate myself by constantly thinking about where I want to be, why I started doing it and what my aspirations are and where I want to be. And not just down to, you know, I want to have a big house and a nice car, and but more down to the success 
side where I'm like, what to me is success and what do I deem as, okay, I'm now successful in what I'm doing. People would say to me now, you're very successful. And I'd say, thank you. But I think I've still got quite a way to go with that. Um, So, you know, for me, the driver is to not fail. I don't want to ever look like I've failed and something's not worked because even when something hasn't worked, I'll find a solution or a way around it. Um, And I guess... That keeps me going, whereas some people it would make them say, oh, I'm going to stop here then, I'm just going to leave it and I'll just go and work a nine-to-five job. Um, and I think that anyone who's kind of businessy and in that field probably has a little bit of that drive already. But to stay motivated, you just need to keep thinking about where do you want to be and how how are you going to get there? Because if you're laid in bed all day or you're... I don't know, playing on your PlayStation all day and you want to become a millionaire, unless you're going to do it, you play in your PlayStation, which you probably could this day and age. Like you need to be doing, like you need to be learning your talent and growing and, you know, keep pushing. Definitely. Boom. All right. Where can uh, people find you online? So you can find me at www.shanmarie.com or on Instagram. Personal is at shangabidon. And business accounts, we've got at Shamri Fashion and at Shamri Lounge. So check out the new Lounge Instagram. There's some nice pieces on there. Boom. Thank you so much. And thank you for sending us over lovely bikinis to wear. <laughs> <laughs>